0: Buonasera tutti e benvenuti to Kimberly's Italy. Hello everyone and welcome to Kimberly's Italy, a podcast about our love of all things Italiano. We ended last week's episode with the fact that I took a train from Roma to Napoli with the gang of girls I was with and the train was fab. Very easy and short ride to Napoli, which from where we took the ferry to Capri. We stayed three long, lovely days and basically had the place to ourselves at night because it was right before the end of the season, the shutdown date of November 1st. I did all the ancient walks and hikes and saw each and every rune that makes Capri so special because Capri is way more than just the shopping and the glitterati and the paparazzi. It's all about the history, as far as I'm concerned. And you throw in some really pretty vistas and landscapes and really good food and wine. Damorire.
1: And the influencers driving you crazy.
0: Didn't see them there as much.
1: Yeah, it was a little cold for them in November.
0: No, it was warm. Are you kidding? It I know, was like but it eighty.
1: Was, it's not influencer season.
0: Yes, true. They probably went on to like Miami. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Goodbye.
0: But I promise I will finish in future episodes the rest of this girl's trip. It was fantastic. However, we're going to postpone the last two or three episodes from that trip and instead we'll publish them later in January. And that is because... Tommaso and I are leaving this weekend for Europe, and just like everyone else around the world, before the holidays, we're scrambling to get everything
1: get, get through done. the to-do list. Right? Very long days and nights lately, but... The to-do list gets longer every morning over coffee. Uh-huh. We will prevail. Yes, we will.
0: However, we decided to just delay the end of this girl's trip to a future episode, and instead of chatting about how magnificent Capri is in the off-season, Tomas is going to give you guys an update on a few, in my opinion, very compelling and interesting things to do and see in Italy this winter. And I say this because he is an insatiable reader of all things. But for the last year or so, he's been searching out interesting events or upcoming museum shows in Italy. And I'm wondering if this newfound love of that reading is because you're hoping that maybe... We'll We'll
1: be there more. Yes, correct. (laughs) A lot more. Anyway, so... There are a couple of interesting stories, travel news stories, and then a couple of wonderful events coming up in Italy that I think you might be very interested in. I'm interested in them, so I hope you are. The first bit of news is for the first time in... What I can remember, I don't know if you can remember this ever, but there has been a one-way pedestrian street in Napoli.
0: In Napoli, yeah,
1: yes, 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 and for you know, good reason, and for good reason. I mean, we talk about over tourism all the time, and this is an area that, in the normal season, the tourist season, is crowded with tourists, but at Christmas time, it is crowded by Patisco. Italians.
0: Complete craziness. Yes.
1: Cheek and jowl, Italians. But Napoli has decided to make this pedestrian street one way during the Christmas season. This is one of the first times it's happened, and it's for some very good reasons. And the new rule goes into effect on December 11th and applies to anyone who's walking along via San Gregorio Armanio. Bravo. Ah.
0: Gregorio Armeno. G- g- very close.
1: Gregorio Armeno. Bravo. Pedestrians are only allowed to walk one way from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. on December 17th till the 23rd. And on Christmas Eve, the rules will be in effect again from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And they're only for this particular street and this specific time due to a famously elaborate nativity scene set up along the street, which attract hordes of Italians.
0: It was like... A good analogy is when I was there last month and I wanted to take the girls up to Pizzeria San Michele. It's on this street. We walked from the train station, walked up there, and it
1: was uh, mayhem is a good word. You said you had to stay behind them to herd them to make sure you didn't drop anyone off exactly. the back of the train. But the timing
0: was unfortunate because the one... Time frame that we had to be in Napoli of about four to five hours was on the festival of Tutti Santi, All Saints Day. So I started walking them up to Pizzeria San Michele. I was like, this is insanity and I'm going to lose one of them. So I decided to tell them the direction you just keep going, keep going. And I went behind them so I could focus and count all six of them because literally it was... A mass of humanity coming and going, and on top of all that, not wanting to lose them, I also thought, <laughs> to be honest, I thought if I don't catch COVID on this street, then I'm immune. <laughs> That's how crowded it was.
1: And so, you've had you've had a lot of experience at Herdy because we had a border collie. <laughs> yes, true. <laughs> <laughs> Ollie, we miss you. Anyway, oh. uh, this street in Napoli is nicknamed Christmas Alley, and the street is in the heart of Naples. And it's home to several shops that sell antique and handmade nativity figures. And some of these shops date back to the 18th century via San Gregorio Armeno.
0: Bravo. Bravo.
1: It was once a Roman street and it's now basically about probably 12 feet wide.
0: It, so, oh, it is. It, yeah. it's, it's narrow. So Put it's a, a million people in there
1: yeah. on Christmas. It's one way. It's been implemented to protect the public and its safety was dangerously compromised <laughs> during this busy season.
0: È un buon idea. Good we, idea.
1: For because that. it has no sidewalks. That's the first piece of news I found quite interesting. Molto, one, molto
0: interessante.
1: Yes, one one <laughs> way, pedestrian street. Now, the next one, beware of selfies with gladiators and centurions around the Colosseum in Roma. Roma. Yes, I can't roll my tongue. Usually, it's the tourists behaving badly in Italy. But this time, three men accused of crimes outside the Colosseum are locals, and these men were arrested on suspicion of extortion after dressing up as gladiators and centurions and demanding money from tourists for their self-styled imperial selfies. I'm making quotes here. You can see the quotes. quotes.
0: So hold on. These Italian men, are they Italian? Yes. They dressed up as gladiators. And centurions. They would approach tourists, obvious tourists, yep. and take a selfie of them with, uh, take a selfie with,
1: with the, of, the camera of the tourist.
0: Oh. And
1: then say pay up. Wow. They asked the selfies. And they, this is
0: currently happening or just happened?
1: Well, it just happened. Okay. Uh, there was some, it's been going on for some time, but they still a little cracked down. So Rome's Polizia.
0: Polizia.
1: De Stato. <laughs> Di- Stato, bravo. Di Stato. Bravo. Uh, they, they basically announced the news on their Facebook page. Imagine that, right? <laughs> uh, that during August and September, they received a number of complaints from foreign tourists who had up to 500 euros extorted from them. For a
0: selfie with a gladiator?
1: See? And, oh, dear me. And the modus operandi was identical. Men dressed as gladiators and centurions would invite their tourist victims to take an imperial selfie with them outside the Colosseum and then demand money. And one Italian tourist was asked for 40 euros, and there was an Irish tourist who refused to pay up, saying he had no money. And he was apparently marched to a nearby ATM, forced to extract 200 euros, and handed it over.
0: You know, it's like Times Square with a naked cowboy. It's
1: like anywhere. Right. It's like anywhere. I mean, it's it's, it's no different. I did not
0: see it. I was just at the Coliseum, but I'm sorry to hear about it. However, this kind of stuff happens around the world. So you just need to be diligent and on top of stuff.
1: Exactly. And And it is illegal in Italy. It also
0: shows that selfies are a bad thing.
1: I've never taken one. (laughs) Nor have I. (laughs) (laughs) We're old school. Anyway, last January, two Romans were fined 13,500 euros when they were car- charging tourists for photos. Excellent. So it is, it is illegal. Now on to some news about events, which I think are quite interesting. And you all know our love, and particularly my love of Venice and the art of Venice. And no matter where you are in the world right now, in the 111 countries. 111,
0: Tommaso, we're yes. at 110.
1: No, I think I told you there's 111. I think it was in the last episode. All right, you guys check that out because I'm not believing it. You better get your intern to do some research. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting art news, no matter where you are. Uh, but in Italia this winter and spring, there are two wonderful art exhibits that, if you're there, you'll want to see. But one is currently on exhibit here in Washington, D.C. in the United States, and it's going to be moving to back to Venice very shortly. And it's a Venetian Renaissance painter, Vittorio. Carpaccio, bravo, Vittorio Carpaccio. Yeah, and he lived like the meat. Well, there's a story oh, about that. Okay, meat. okay. Sorry, I, I. So Vittorio, ahead. he lived from around 1460 to 1525. But Carpaccio is known for his large, spectacular narrative paintings. They are obviously religious, way back then, and he brought this sacred history to life. And this. Exhibition marks the first retrospective of the artist that was ever held outside of Italy. And though for centuries, he's been loved and celebrated within the city for his observant eye, his fertile imagination, and his storytelling prowess within, you know, telling visual stories in his paintings. And a focused selection of some 45 paintings and 30 drawings and large-scale canvases uh, painted originally for decorating the homes of prosperous Venetians and now on exhibit. And some of the paintings, n- notably two of the celebrated canvases from the sc- Scuola. Mm-hmm.
0: Scuola. That's a hard one. Scuola.
1: Sc- Deli- that is the
0: school. Schiavoni
1: Schiavone in Venice. Our own National Gallery's Virgin Reading painting, pa- painted oh, in 1505 have undergone conservation for this occasion. So they're looking bright and wonderful. It goes Mm. back to Carp. I'm going to tell you about the Carpaccio. So Jason Fargo of the New York Times wrote, for that writer Henry James, the American writer living in Italy, there is something ridiculous in talking of Venice without making him almost the chorus, the refrain. And he wrote that in 1882 when James was not yet 40. And he, the hymn he's speaking about, when he said the hymn, almost the refrain, is Vittorio Carapaccio, because his paintings lined all the churches around Venice. And at this time, James was falling in love with Venice and writing his first essay, which he gasped before the painting of Tintorento and Bellini and whines about all the other tourists there. Is, and. That's proof some things just don't, don't change. Things right. remain the same. He said, though there were some disagreeable things in Venice, there's nothing so disagreeable as the visitors. Still oh. true. Still true <laughs> in high season, right? Even wow. the Venetians think that way. Wow. He found Carpaccio more than Tintorento sailed nearer to perfection. And his fame being brighter today, he said that it ever has been. And that was in 1882. This is the first time Carpaccio's work has gone outside of Italy, and it doesn't go outside of Venice very often either. With the coming of the 20th century, Venice pilgrims and day trippers gravitated to, to the more beautiful paintings of Titian and Tintoretto, and Tintoretto has even appeared as a contemporary artist at the Venice Biennale. Hmm. This is really nice because it's sort of like pulling someone who's been in the closet. Out, hey, hey, Grandma! What a great painting you got there. Hmm. So Carpaccio was a rock star in Venice, but as moderners came along, he lost his he lost his status as a hero. And uh, it's a treat, therefore, to take the full measure of his perfection. And if you can't make it in Washington, which you won't, you'd rather see it in Venice. The new exhibition will travel to the Palazzo Ducale, the Doge's Palace, mm-hmm. and basically it'll be there March through June. Andiamo. <laughs> Let's go, right? So, and in case this review, when I mentioned carpaccio, has left your stomach rumbling, because as oh, mine would- Oh, here we go. The analogy to the carne, to y- the meat. See, si, certo. His legacy is as much culinary as it is painterly. And this goes back to something we've talked about recently because of a recent trip you took. Everyone knows that beef carpaccio is a plate of raw meat, sliced Thin, thin, whisper paper, thin. Paper. It seems to predate the discovery of fire. It's raw. You serve it raw. and Oh, I see. And, Preda-
0: and, predate
1: cooking. Yes. I and see. It, it is named after Carpaccio. And this dish was invented. But how
0: can that be? Because
1: he lived during cooking. So the dish was invented in 1963, according to the catalog of the show at the Venetian Institution Harry's Bar. Giuseppe Cipriani, the owner, christened the new dish after a giant Carpaccio exhibition on view. Apparently, the reds of Carpaccio's work inspired him. So he, at Harry's Bar in the 60s,
0: decided to call what this dish that's been around forever, it didn't have a name before?
1: I I don't, I guess not. And of course, Cipriani has a history of basically naming things. And he coined the phrase the Bellini Mm -hmm. after the 15th century Italian painter Giovanni Bellini. And Cipriani's son, Arrigo Cipriani, said his father was inspired by the artist's use of pink hues that seemed to glow on the canvas. That was Mm, the Bellini. Hence the
0: peach and Prosecco.
1: If you're in Venice next year from March through June, check out the show at the Doge's Palace. It's going to be amazing. And I'd, if you're interested, I'd suggest getting some tickets lined up online, particularly if you're going to be there in May or June, because it'll probably be pretty crowded. So there's another thing that we will see in Milano on what? our trip. Yes, what? yes, yes, yes. Dimi. Me. Tell me. Tell me. <laughs> Dimi Tutto.
0: Tell me everything. You
1: can bank on this. Okay. Because it is an exhibition called... Bank on it. Oh, and it it is, it, it explores the long and mutually beneficial history of art and finance. What did the Medicis, J.P. Morgan, and the Rothschilds have in common? Well, from Michelangelo to Morandi, Medicis to the Rothschilds, all of these bankers basically forged vast artistic legacies. They're also some of the stars of a sweeping show spotlighting the leading financers of their art. So the show is going to explore the financial world's role in helping to produce the art and the art's role in consolidating the banker's social status, right? Interesting.
0: And things that
1: remain the same as much as right. they change, they remain <laughs> the same. And it's a grand investigation. And in the words of the French sociologist, Pierre Bordeaux, how economic capital Transforms into cultural and symbolic capital. And that's no different than today when billionaires decide to open a a museum or name a wing somewhere for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, they make a lot of money Mm -hmm. and they want to leave their legacy out there. But this exhibition covers a 500 year span from the Medici to the Rothschilds, and it's a territorial sweep all going all the way from Europe to the United States. 11 sections in the show, each dedicated to an individual banker. The show contains 120 paintings, sculptures, drawings, bronzes by artists from Michelangelo, Caravaggio, Van Dyck, Giorgio Morandi, and they include loans from all the best museums in Europe, from the Louvre, the National Gallery in Washington, from the Albertina in Vienna, the Stadt Museum in Berlin, and the Morgan Library in New York also. I think this sounds amazing. And we're gonna I, I, get we're gonna get a chance to see it. Right. This may not be for everyone, but I'm very impressed that it's well, all been it ties together economic history and art history, which isn't often done. I know, but the point is they
0: got it all together. It's going to be collectively in the same place in, in Milano.
1: So the curator, Fernando Mazzocca, he said, We've tried to show the individual taste of these financiers and the works they acquired and commissioned, and what emerges over time, and the differentiators of each collector, and how they saw the world differently through art, which I think is it's pretty amazing. So you've got Cosimo and Lorenzo de' Medici, the Grand Dukes of Tuscany, who funneled enormous amounts of money into the Florentine Renaissance, Augustino Chigi, I'm not sure who he is, <laughs> sounds like me almost, but he was a Sienese financer of popes, from whom Raphael painted a lot of frescoes for, but the exhibition really gets down to exploring what motivated the patrons. And some sought personal glory and others actually named to enrich society through art. So one of the bankers in the United States was Andrew Mellon, the U.S. banking empire, and he started building the West Wing of the National Gallery of Art in 1937. And following his death, his son donated a thousand paintings to the museum and this really solidifies that symbiosis between painting and patrons. Mm-hmm. And I think this is going to be wild to see it all in one work. I agree,
0: I can't wait.
1: And it's you probably know the venue which is the headquarters of the former Banco Commerciale Italiana, Comet, and it's significant in that the space now serves as one of four Italian museums in the Galleria d'Italia network. And basically this huge bank in Italy right now, which I won't go into its name, but it put all this together to show its own art collection.
0: Interesting. Very cool. I'm excited. Good
1: job. The exhibition closes with a section dedicated to the gentleman named Raffaele Mattioli, and he was the so-called humanist banker. And he played a leading role in orchestrating Italy's post-war economic and cultural revival, post-World War II. And he battled to preserve the country's artistic heritage. He bought Michelangelo's Pieta uh, for the city of Milan to avoid its expatriation, sending it to the United States. And he started an art collection for his bank, which he directed the acquisitions of all that artwork. And when his bank merged with other banks, all the art all got thrown into one big pile and it's now displayed in this Galleria d'Italia. So we'll be seeing that when we go to Milan.
0: Fantastico. I'm super excited about that. Bravo. Allora. Allora. We will skip next week's episode completely and record one from Italy, which will be up two weeks from now on December 28th. We will be in Chernobyl in Lago di Como, Lake Como, by then on December 28th. And I'm sure we'll have some very fun tales to tell from our Christmas in Copenhagen. Hold on, my friend. And that's right, (laughs) Copenhagen, which is in Denmark, not Italy. However, the Danish connection stems from that foreign exchange student I mentioned in previous episodes. His name is Pear, and he came to spend the last year of my high school in Chicago with my family. And we have been like brother and sister ever since many, many, many years. So Tommaso and I are going to spend, as you just pronounced it, Hige, but technically, even though I cannot speak Danish, cannot pronounce it, but it's pronounced more
1: Huga, not Hige. Ah,
0: mm. Anyway, so we're going to have a good time. We're going to have a Huga time with the Great Danes in Copenhagen, where it's currently snowing. So that's even more huga. And again, I apologize for my pronunciation of it. I'd also like to add that Denmark and Italy actually have a few things in common. And that is this concept we're talking about that the Danes call higa. Huga is the result of, quote, creating a warm and cozy environment where you enjoy the simple pleasures with good people. So I looked this up in Danish. I have a good translation app. And those same words came through every time. Not just family, not just friends, but good people. I thought that was very interesting. And Italians do the same, even though they don't have a specific word for it. They create a meal when they have a special occasion. They create a meal where literally every single thing is made from scratch. And they may spend days doing it. La mamma, the nonna, the kids, everyone takes a role. They spend days making the effort in order to share it with good people. And in the Italian's case, it's more friends and family. So Tommaso and I feel very fortunate to spend a Christmas in Copenhagen with the Danes, who are the most generous people I know. And then we get to go to Italy and spend time with old friends. And funny enough, A lot of my friends from Chernobyl in Lake Como are Danish. I think I sought them out somehow because I had that Danish kinship for all those years prior to even moving to Italy. And I just met some people in Lake Como and Chernobyl. And then I heard some Danish in the background. I'm like, hey, who are you? Where are you from? I don't speak Danish, but I have a Danish brother. Long story. (laughs) So anyway, and that sums up. If you're wondering if I speak Danish, the answer is a big fat. No, <laughs> <laughs> but Tommaso is very good at impressions and accents, and so he makes up this Danish and says it, speaks it, quote unquote, speaks it to our Danish friends all the time. They just look at him, roll melt
1: their eyes. They used to like it. Now it's the I get the hairy eyeball. Now it's annoying. <laughs> it's annoying.
0: <laughs> uh, hey, Basta. We want to thank you all for listening to us. I want to thank you for hiring me to plan your trips. And I want to thank you so much for the funny feedback via email, Instagram messages, Facebook. It makes us both smile and laugh every single time we receive one. And I truly think it's been one of the best rewards we get from producing this podcast every week. See? Certo. 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 We sincerely hope you all have a wonderful holiday and that the new year brings a lot more peace around the world. And in Italian, Buon Natale e Felice Capodanno. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao.
1: Merry Christmas, everybody.